0: Hopefully, can get can get back on course to some extent this
1: year. Last week, we told you about Spencer Duncan's first year in Topeka City Council. Now it's Christina Valdivia-Alcala's time on the mic. She also said some of her priorities were sidetracked because of the COVID-19 pandemic. How has this council member balanced a first year in office that was filled with promise and pandemic? Then we'll catch you up on some stories you might have missed. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. I'm not quite sure what time you're listening to me right now, but I'm just glad that you are. My name is Blaze Mesa, and this is the news from our city. Hello, Kansas. Thank you very much. Hello, Kansas. From the steps of City Hall. Let's move forward together. Let's move forward in unity. To the county commissioners. This outbreak is running ahead of us big time. We've got your local government news right here. Motion carries 3-0. Next item.
0: <laughs> okay you will raise your right hand. I Christina Valdivia Alcala I Christina Valdivia Alcala.:
1: We finish our two-part series looking at Topeka City council members whose first year in office came during a pandemic.:
0: That I will support the Constitution of the United States of America and the Constitution.
1: Last week was Spencer Duncan, and Councilmember Hannah Nager hasn't responded to a podcast interview.
0: discharge the duties. And will faithfully discharge the duties. I'm city council member for district number two.
1: How has this council member's priorities changed, and what do they have to set aside to handle the virus?
0: So help me God. So help me God. Congratulations.
1: Thank you. <laughs> I can imagine you really weren't preparing for the pandemic or even campaigning for a pandemic when you were voted on. Um, So I suspect some things might have changed or it was probably a little different than you would have thought of. But first, let's keep this question kind of simple. What were some of your major priorities or issues you were hoping to tackle year one on the council?
0: I think that when I was started running, uh, some of the main things that I was focusing on was a reinvigoration of um, the neighborhood watch programs along with working with constituents to help as a council person to enhance their voice to local government. Those were things that I talked about when running and going door to door. Also issues such as getting a fair share of dollars to come into the district, along with issues of uh, public health and safety in regards to our relationship with the Kansas River, Uh, issues such as uh, climate factoring into the larger rains and, and the microbursts that we get and, you know, having preparations for that. There was also some focus that I wanted to place on helping in the education of children to understand their relationship as caretakers for the future of our climate. And so with the coming of the pandemic and all that, that entailed along with a number of, of other issues, um, a number of these were sidetracked. <laughs> so hopefully, can get can get back on course to some extent this year.
1: Yeah, so then, let's dive a little bit deeper into that last point you made. It makes sense that Topeka City Council had shifting priorities, and the council members had other things to work on with the pandemic. Trying to make sure your constituents aren't just like dying because of the pandemic was probably top of mind. But to what level did it throw a wrench in your plans? Like, were there some goals you had to, I don't want to say abandon, because you're going to get to them in the future, but are there some you just had to put aside and said, I'll get, that, get to that later, but right now I need to make sure everyone is staying safe?
0: For the most part, I think one of the main things that stayed on track, and then we'll get to the other one, um, After What stayed on track, really, was that push and um, the ability to help empower constituents with issues that they were having, whether that meant uh, going along with them to City Hall for a meeting, uh, whether that meant someone from City Services coming out with me to meet at, at a constituent's residence to look at an issue, whether that meant having a meeting masked up with groups of of folks about certain initiatives or having countless Zoom meetings with people and organizations, all with the intent of, yes, I am your council person. However, your voice is also needed. And together, we will move forward on this because it really is of the mindset my mindset is that local government is that last bastion. I mean, that, that sacred bastion of democracy, right? Like that is where the people's voice can really be heard and should be heard. And so that was something that did not get sidetracked. I believe what has gotten sidetracked is because the um, NIAs have not been able to meet because We haven't been able to meet as uh, larger groups of things with the neighborhood watch and wanting to gear, really gear that up in a more proactive fashion. That was stalled. And also what was stalled is looking at educating and working with children in my district as much as possible in educating them on their relationship to the river and uh, talking about things that can help them to understand that they really are the future as we move forward and um, looking at that from, uh, from an art perspective and, and, and from an educational perspective.
1: And for anyone out of the loop, an NIA is a Neighborhood Improvement Association. So we're looking at places like, I think, Tennessee Town, Oakland. They all have people who have a seat at the table, are able to speak with the council city manager to try and advocate for some of the changes they want to see in their neighborhood. With them not meeting, is there any concern in your mind about the long-term implications of that? I can imagine the, the pandemic has kind of you know tightened some city budgets. So, if they're not able to kind of get their voice in, it's not that they couldn't for a full year, but just less than that. Are you worried future development plans might leave them out of it?
0: I think more than anything, I have deep concerns about the NIA's period, even pre COVID. Are NIA's in. You know, the 90s and and 2000s used to be quite strong and quite vibrant. And I think that what we are seeing now is, especially in areas of District 2 where there is a high rate of rental properties, where there's a high rate of families that are struggling just to make ends meet, again, pre-COVID, even more now during COVID, that could not and have not been able to find the time to come to an NIA meeting. And we see that many in the NIAs are aging out. I think that my concern is is really how do we help invigorate them to get more young people involved. The NIAs have ongoing communication with, the neighborhood relations, and we know that the neighborhood relations department is going through some shifts right now, not all that I think are good. However, they have an endless communication stream with the city if they so desire. Now, what I have done is, uh, because for some reason I don't, I'm not able to work as closely with some NIAs as others, is I have an email list of folks in my district, and I send out emails every six to eight weeks to keep them abreast of what's going on, on my end as a council person, on things that they wouldn't necessarily know about, and also in August, when it came to issues of drug houses and and things of that nature in Oakland. I had a meeting that was outside of the NIA, and we had it out in Oakland Billard Park and had something like 25 people attend. So people are, I believe, hungry to meet again. It's just going to remain a challenge, I think, until we get more of an an all clear. I do not think, though, that they will be at a loss for opportunities as long as they stay in touch with either the city people like Monique Laudet and Latoya Burton who are really good in, in and myself and or myself.
1: So then real quickly on that last point, before we shift to another question, if there's anyone out there maybe interested in joining an NIA, maybe they share your concerns about NIAs and how often they're able to meet, how should they go about getting in contact with the right people to either join an NIA or make sure theirs is still active?
0: I would, um, since I don't have all the contact information, you know, right here at hand, I would call either myself at 233-7110. That's my landline. And, you know, I, I always check messages, and I can help steer them in the right direction. They can call the city, and I think that number would be 368-1111. I could be wrong on that. And I would ask to speak to Monique Glaude. G-L-A-U-D-E. She is a wonderful resource. Mm -hmm.
1: So then how did the pandemic change any of your priorities, if at all? Obviously, it brought up new issues and new concerns to look at. Have you found yourself maybe with a new area of focus going forward?
0: Um, I think the pandemic, along with the housing study, the affordable housing study that came, that you know, the city had a consultant, you know, consulted out for, and then everything was brought forth to the council uh, around late summer. Um, But we had it before then to, to look at. I think the combination of the pandemic and seeing how much people are suffering, how much they're looking for food sources you know, because they can't afford to buy their groceries, the big issues that we're having with unemployment claims being processed, the whole issue of the real fear of uh, eviction, um, which the moratoriums have, have helped uh, lessen, that along with the housing study and the realities that the housing study brought forth have me concerned in I would say in a deeper way than what I was, you know, right at the time of taking office, and that has to do with safe, affordable housing. It has to do with the living wage, which we must have. That has to do with an overburden of the, you know, uh, too much of a family's uh, paycheck or paychecks going to rent and not even, you know, quality housing, and the issues that we face in these underserved communities in these older districts, where the housing study pointed out point blank that there is still racial disparity and inequity, and how, so it's like this perfect storm kind of coalescing together and I think that what you're seeing locally is just a snapshot of what's going on statewide, regionally, and nationally. It just all spreads out. It's happening here in Topeka as well.
1: So, so then going forward, how do you begin to address some of those issues in combination with things that you were hoping to address when you first got on council? It seems like a big task. What are the plans moving forward?
0: Mm. It's challenging. I'm not going to say that it's, it's not challenging. Um, You know, I just, I tell myself that I have so much time in a day and, and, you know, learn more about priority. Local government is a behemoth and oftentimes, unfortunately, even though there are wonderful folks that work for the city, it is like, pushing up against a concrete wall. And I believe that that concrete wall is based on just what you often see as a government mindset that is not used to working in a proactive fashion with their citizenry. It's it's not even really antagonistic. It's just... That's, you know, you, you'll get it. That's just the way it is. Well, no, that's not just the way it is. You know, we can think outside the box. We can, you know, hire people that have a vision uh, that includes everyone, um, not only the young folks that are part of, you know, corporate America. That includes everyone and everyone's voice. And so my understanding of what I need to do at this point is I need to keep moving at my pace to continue to engage with community. And I mean like at a base grassroots level to amplify those voices and work alongside them and push for the change that's needed and push to even get it the dialogue at the table.
1: We're on with Councilmember Cristina Valdivia-Alcala here. Some of the things you've been talking about, living wage, I'm assuming you meant $15 an hour, rent control protections, all those things like that, probably got a lot of support by some people in the community, but I also suspect you might get a little bit of pushback by people in the community for some of those policy ideas. Are you hoping that's what the grassroots um, kind of raising of the voices can help you do is show that it's just not you with those beliefs? Or how do you plan on going forward, handling maybe some of the, uh, the blowback from those ideas?
0: You know, I think that blowback is, is just a part, you know, a part of the job. I believe that there are, are such differences with districts like, you know, district two and, and, Some of the other districts, I would imagine, the more underserved and older districts that are quite different than what you're dealing with, you know, in the districts eight or nine, you know, seven, what have you. Um, And I think that there definitely um, may be challenges. I think that we're at a time where there is such extreme um, divisiveness and I don't have easy answers to how you move through that, right? You can't move over that. You can't move under it. You can't move, you know, to the side of it. You just have to move through it. And I think it's very important to work with faith-based organizations, organizations that see the human toll and the human trauma with not having a living wage, from not believing that there is a remedy in certain parts of Topeka to really be able to have a better way of life. because those folks in the faith-based organizations in the social justice organizations to me are crucial because they get to the heart of the christian voice which is to serve which is to to lead and move forward collectively in a way that helps those that are the most Um, without. To me, that's always the Christian message. It always is.
1: Just a couple more questions here. So the pandemic has ruined a great many lives and there's nothing really good that came from it. So I'm not trying to phrase this question like, what are the positives of the pandemic? But I'm wondering, are you glad that you were kind of in charge when this all happened and you were able to have a voice and a seat at the table when really everyone's lives are being changed in 2020?
0: that's that's kind of an odd question because if you if i mean really to be honest um, I think at the city level, I don't think that we were nearly as engaged as we could have been or might have been and and that's that really had to do with it being you know it being handled more at a county level um, I think when it came to the votes for dollars, when it came to the votes for um you know moratoriums on you know uh, uh eviction in that way or 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 understanding that those things were in place um subsidies and ha- and utilization of care funds etc yes i was glad to be a part of that um I think though that where you really see it, like as a council person, like with neighborhood relations, there was just a a handful of days that I helped uh, neighborhood relations and Monique and Latoya and a whole bunch of other folks give out food to families, and they would come in through the draw through the drive of whatever part of Topeka they were doing it in. We would ask them survey questions, and then we would get the food out to them. To me, that's where it becomes the most evident. And, and I'm forever grateful for those opportunities to have borne witness to that because that lights the fire into what's needed here in Topeka.
1: So I've about made it through my whole list of questions here. Is there any topic that we just didn't touch on that you wish we would have? Um,
0: I think we have to start looking at a at what we're going to do really to get serious at a local level about climate right I mean how we're going to go about that which I am the first to say at a local level I mean how do you go about you know doing that I know I can I can start talking green I can start you know talking about education and, and what we can do in the way to have more of this and more of this but It really is going to take us coming together and talking about the difficult subject matter of our changing climate and how that is going to impact us at a local level and really start taking it seriously. Because it's science. It's not made up. It's it's science and it's happening. So I I think that.
1: Here are some stories from the past week that didn't make it in a print. An ordinance discussed by Topeka City Council could update the duties of the Human Relations Commission. One change allows the HRC to help with civil rights complaints by directing people to the appropriate agencies, like the Kansas Human Relations Commission. So, in this this sense, what we are here to do is just to help the public and direct them to the right place. That was board member Nicholas Smith. Smith said one other change would allow the commission to review a quarterly police auditor report and quarterly affirmative action contracting report. Then after this review, we can express any concerns that we might have to the city manager. Otherwise, there's no new powers. So let me be specific about what this ordinance does not do. It does not give the commission any enforcement authorities whatsoever, and it also does not give the commission any authority to accept public complaints in an official capacity either. The council will vote on those changes on Tuesday. The Shawnee County Commissioners also approved $31,823 for emergency repairs and rentals of a generator at the Department of Corrections.
0: Good morning, Commissioners. Brian Cole, Shawnee County Department of Corrections. These next two items, this and the next item, are related to the same incident. On Tuesday, uh, February 16th, the Department of Corrections uh, suffered a power outage that lasted for about two and a half hours. Uh, uh, To my understanding, we still don't know what the power outage was due to. Uh, We were told it was rolling blackouts, and we were told it wasn't a rolling blackout. So uh, neither here nor there, we don't know what the actual uh, uh, cause of it was.
1: That emergency purchase was last Thursday.
0: I'll move for approval.
1: Uh, I'll move second, but I would note that we are going to utilize insurance claims and then contingency funds, correct? Yeah. Okay. So motion made by Commissioner Mays, second by Commissioner Cook. All in favor, say aye. All opposed. Reflect that it passes three to zero. Our next item. I'm Rafael Garcia from Teaching Topeka, and here's the latest in education news. The Seaman Board of Education will put together a task force to discuss a possible change to the district's name after two student journalists in October confirmed long-held rumors that district namesake Fred Seaman was an exalted cyclops in the Topeka chapter of the KKK. That task force, made up of groups such as students, staff, parents, and alumni, will develop a recommendation to present to the board later on. Catch up with the latest in education news and topics on Teaching Topeka every other week. That's going to do it for us here today. For more Capital City news, you can follow us on our social medias. We are at CJ Online on Twitter and the Topeka Capital Journal on Facebook and Instagram. My name is Blaise Messa, and it's been an honor, a pleasure, and a privilege. I'll see you all next
0: week.